0: You to open in your Bible with me to 1 Samuel chapter uh, 30. 1 Samuel chapter 30. And tonight's our healing and breakthrough night. And I felt like as I was reading through the word that the Lord gave me a little uh, specific direction on um, ministering healing and rest to the soul. Healing and rest to the soul. Now, before I jump into that, I just want to ask. we oftentimes, you know, we've been ministering and, and focusing on breakthrough and healing for the past several months now, and have some of you, through these weeks, through these months, experienced any breakthrough and healing in any way? Has there been any significant thing that you'd say, man, I've been praying for something, and the Lord answered, He, 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 he accomplished that, or He did that, or there's been healing in your own body? So, so one of us here, and uh, it should be all of us. Like, all of us continue to contend for healing. I was listening to one person preach, and he, and he, was, he, was say, he said this. He said, if somebody came up to you and they had like a, a big, you know, like g- uh, growth on their, on their face, like, like a tumor or something, and, and they said, will you pray for me? Well, if you are faced with that situation, you might be a little nervous or concerned, and, and you know, you pray for them. But if you see that thing fall off or, or get healed right away, if another person comes up to you and they say, will you pray for me? Because I've got this, this tumor, this growth on my body, you're going to have some confidence. And if you lay your hands on them and pray then, and, and you see the healing, then you're going to be looking for people with tumors and, and growth. That, you know, you're going to be looking for opportunity to heal. And, and what he said is, don't let, it, don't let the time between your breakthroughs be too long. Don't let them be too long because it builds confidence. And that's why, that's why uh, when I say everybody should be experiencing something um, in our life, some things take longer than others. Some healing and breakthrough takes longer than others. That's why we always want to have a lot of prayers in the hopper. We always want to be contending in a, in, for a lot of different things to see God show up. And, and continuously going after And when you see a little victory, you immediately go after the next victory. You don't want to back down and say, well, we'll just wait for the next one. No, that's a confidence builder and a faith builder. That's, a, that's like, like you start, you notice the wind and you set your sails, right? And even if it's just a little bit of a breeze, I mean, we're going to get ready. And if it moves us a little bit, that's great. We're going to keep going. And so... Sometimes when I say, you know, has God uh, brought healing or or given you breakthrough or answered a prayer or something along those lines, I know some people don't want to raise their hand because they they may think I'm going to ask you to share it. Uh, Others of you, sometimes we forget and God has done things and and that's okay. You know, like I, I don't remember everything God's done. Sometimes God does things and we don't remember that we prayed about him or we forgot that this was an answer to a prayer at some other point. Like in the book of Acts, when Cornelius was praying, and he was uh, from the Roman guard, he he wasn't a, a, a Jewish man, but he prayed to to our God, and he would, and he was a giver. And the Bible says those two things: he he gave and he prayed regularly. And then the Lord answered and said, "Your prayers have come up as a memorial to me." So. Our prayers don't just hit the ceiling or just not get answered, but it's almost as if when we're praying, for example, Cornelius, he was praying to God, and it was like building a memorial, and God in heaven takes notice of the memorial, and then he responded to this that had been prayed through at some point prior. You know, memorials remind us of something, right? Uh, in Washington, D.C., there are all kinds of monuments there and memorials about something that happened. And God said, When I saw your prayers in heaven, it reminded me of you. And I've come to answer. And so your prayers and pursuing the Lord and seeking God for breakthrough, uh, those there, they're, they're not just in neutral. Something is happening with them. And you continue to contend. And even if you have many areas that you're going after, go after God, and and and, and you know, you might be contending for your family, for your job, for physical thing, for for a dream you've had that's maybe for a long time off. Don't back down on any of them. And when you catch a little wind in your sail, you know you you you, you push even harder. But make sure that whatever answers breakthrough, that's a testimony to the Lord, and you give that testimony. You remind God about it. You give them thanks. Amen? Amen? Tonight, as we're talking through this, uh, today in fact, today's reading, I read it on the the Bible app, so I, I think it may be a day off from some of you, but Matthew chapter 11 is what I was reading today, and we're going to get to 1 Samuel chapter 30, but Matthew chapter 11 is where Jesus is... is saying all kinds of of good stuff, but right at the end, he gets to it and he says, verse 28, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Those words rest for your souls stood out to me. Because so many people don't have rest in their souls. So many times there's a stress, there's a harassment, there's tension, there's pressure, there's worry, there's anxiety. When you walk around, all you have to do, especially if you go into a downtown area, uh, even in a bigger city, you notice this even more so. You'll see people that are emotionally, mentally disturbed. Some of those things are just, they've burned their brain out through drugs or alcohol. Some of them, just the, the, the stress of life has broken them. Others of them, it's demonic at its very root. But in their soul, they don't have rest and peace. And this doesn't just happen to the person on the street. It happens to the kid in school. You talk to kids at school, hey, what, what are some of the biggest struggles? Stress. Stress. You're like, you're in high school or junior high. Yeah, but it's stressful. And then you think back, you think, oh, it wasn't stressful. But when you were there, it was stressful. And it hasn't gotten any less stressful with the pressure, the weight, and the attack on, on our young people. The stress of life. Talk to any mom, any dad, anybody who gets out of bed <laughs> or, or can't get out of bed. The pressure, the stress can build. And Jesus is saying, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You're carrying weights on your shoulder or on your heart and on your mind, some things that you're just thinking about. Uh, Some of you may be dealing with aging parents or the health concerns of family members. It's heavy laden. And Jesus says, though, come to me. You know, it's not vacation that's going to give you the rest you need. It's not uh, just a, a pat on the back or maybe a day off of work or a day at the spa, although all of those things are nice. But Jesus doesn't say that's the solution. He doesn't say just check out and go to the movies and see a double feature, binge on Netflix or read a book. He doesn't say that. He says, come to me. Because the source of our rest is found in him. And he's wanting to get this across to us for two reasons. One is, I believe that God wants to give your soul rest. And I also believe that God wants to use you to bring rest to others. To minister to others whose minds are racing. Who struggle with these thoughts. People who struggle with self-hate. People who struggle with suicidal thoughts. People who struggle with regret and guilt and shame. God is saying, come to me and I'll give you rest from all of that. He says, take my yoke upon you. You know that yoke, that heavy bar that that keeps somebody connected, something connected to something else. He said, take my yoke upon you. Get connected to me and it's light. It's not a heavy burden for you. I'll give you rest. Rest. Learn from me. He says, Learn from me. Come, take, learn. I'm gentle and lowly in heart. You'll find rest for your souls. Rest for your souls. Jesus wants to give you rest in your soul at peace, not concerned about anything. On the inside, Just the joy of the Lord, the gladness of heart, sound mind, not concerned about a thing. It doesn't matter if there's a storm going on out here. Just like Jesus, when he was in the midst of a storm and the waves were crashing over the boat, he was asleep in the midst of the boat because he had absolute peace and absolute rest. There's a song on the inside of you when you have rest. There's joy on the inside of you when you have rest. Have you been singing more this week? Remember, we're told to plant our seeds and sing over those, right? We got to sow because winter's over, and now the time of singing has come. Uh, But when winter is over, we talked about this last week, it's time to sow the seed for the harvest you want. And then there's this divine instruction to us to sing, sing over your marriages, sing over your kids, sing over your finances, sing over, you know, the situation at work, the problems you're trying to solve, sing over your house, the environment, your neighborhood, your church, evangelism, sing over whatever it is, but sing. And, it, and it's supernatural, and it, it doesn't make sense for any other reason than God said. Okay, turn with me, if you, if you haven't found First Samuel chapter 30 yet. Uh, Go ahead and try to find that. It's on my Bible. It's right here on page 260-something, 272. But you probably don't have the same Bible as me. Um, Let me read to you the first six verses here. Because we're talking about rest for your soul. We're going to see somebody who didn't have it, but then they got it. Chapter 30, verse 1, it says, Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites... Everybody say Amalekites. Amalekites. Um, Don't name your kid Amalek, Amalekites. Uh, They had invaded the south and Ziklag, attacked Ziklag, and burned it with fire, and had taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great. They did not kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came to the city, and there it was, burned with fire, and their wives, their sons, their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with them lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. They got to the situation. They found everything dear to them was gone, and what they did have that was left was burnt to the ground. So their family members, their wives, their kids, their neighbors, their friends, their extended family, all their goods, all their, their flocks, all their stuff of value, everything that would you would call my life had been taken from them. And so in verse, verse 4, it says, they, they lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. That's a dark season of the soul. When you're crying to the point that you have no more tears left. That's where they were. They had wept till there was no more strength in them to weep. Would you say that their souls were troubled? Would you say that's not a good place to be in? You know, there are people who live continuously like that to where they're always broken. There's others of us that we just experience times in life and and, and 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 situations in life to where it brings us to that point. And David and his men were there. Now remember, David and his men were mighty men. They were men of war. They're, these guys weren't the ones to just shed a tear lightly. Imagine them. I mean, they these were ones that would could go into battle and and with without remorse take the life of who you know their opponent. And they do this for, you know, years after years. Imagine the hardness of their heart, but then all of a sudden, something struck right to their heart. It pierced that shell. I found this, that there are people who, uh, on the outside, they look like they have everything going well and have it together. But if you would just open up the curtain and peer in, you'd see that it's not always so in the soul that there's not always rest in the soul. Verse 6, it says, Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because the soul of every of all the people was grieved. But every man for his sons and daughters, they're mad about what happened, and then they look to their leader, and they say, It's your fault. It's your fault that we were out there about to go to Battle. If you read the chapters before, it's your fault that we weren't here. You got us into this. So not only are their souls deeply grieved, but then they turn on David, and now he's greatly distressed. (laughs) He's grieved about his loss, but now he's distressed about all these guys around him who have the ability to take his life, and now there's murmuring. Those closest to him were gone. Those who are still close are turning against him. Have you ever experienced someone turning against you? That right there causes a stress to the soul. But look at verse 6, and let's say the last part of this out loud together. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Let me give you a little background on these Amalekites. The Amalekites were the perpetual enemies of God and his people throughout the Old Testament. Amalek, he was the grandson of Esau. Esau was Jacob's twin brother. Jacob was later named Israel. Jacob and Esau in the womb, the, the, the scripture says that they struggled in the womb in Genesis 25 too. So even before birth, there was this struggle between Esau and Jacob, and then we would see their descendants fighting for centuries to come. After God set his people free, when the children of Israel eventually went into bondage into Egypt, uh, when God set them free, he knew they were fragile. He knew they weren't strong at that point. They were in the fragile condition because they'd been slaves for so long. So, so with that in mind, he, in order to get them out of the bondage in, in Egypt and along the, the journey to the promised land, he intentionally took them on a longer route so that they would avoid war. In fact, in in Exodus chapter 13, verse 17, it says, um, Then it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go, that God did not lead them by the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, 'Lest lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. You know, people who are coming out of a hard situation if their soul is not healthy and strong, if they're, just, if they're still distressed, when they get a little bit of opposition, it can cause them to turn back. And God knew this, and so he said, I'm going to take them a different way. Well, so he starts taking them on a different route, and, and that leads to the backdrop of the first interaction between Israel and the Amalekites, And so here they are on the way to the promised land. This is before they had said, we're not going in. (laughs) This is before that. It says in in Exodus chapter 17, you might want to turn there there because I I want to read it and maybe highlight a couple things to you. But Exodus chapter 17, starting at verse eight, it says, now Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, choose us, Some men and go out, fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I'll stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses and Aaron and her that was his sister. No, just kidding. Um, And her went up to the top of the hill. So it was when Moses held up his hand, hand, that Israel prevailed. When he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. When he held up his hand, Israel won was winning when he let down his hand, Amalek was winning. Okay? There's something going on here when he's lifting up his hand, putting his hand down, the battle shifts who has who's gaining victory. Verse 12, but Moses' hands became heavy, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it, and Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side, and his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. Uh, That's where we get the concept of, you know, just help me hold my hands up, right? I need someone to come on either side of me to hold my hands up so we can get the victory here. We see that, that partnership and that the, the support and ministry, that support and contending. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this down for a memorial in the book and recount it in the hearing of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called its name Jehovah Nissi, the Lord is my banner. For he said, because the Lord has sworn, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. So this is the very first encounter with the children of Israel and Amalek. Amalek ambushed the children of Israel when they were headed to the promised land. They ambushed them. The enemy always wants to hinder and discourage you from going all the way up to your promised land. Amalek shows up over and over throughout the Old Testament, always coming against Israel as an enemy to frustrate, to to devour, to destroy. And right here, they tried to catch him off guard, and they did. Nevertheless, because Moses continued to lift up his hands to the Lord, and the children of Israel were uh, down there fighting, they gained victory. God gave them victory. God gave them victory but that's not the last time that we see him and that's not the last time we hear of him i think in fact in judges this this i was just thinking about this i didn't look it up at, um to give to you guys on the screens but i think it's where's it in judges with gideon this is chapter 5 ish 6 I'm trying to think of of the time it may not be it, it may not be gideon Every, oh, yeah, it is. Ch- chapter 6, the Midianites oppress Israel. It says this, um, whenever, verse 3, "...whenever the Israel had sown their seed, Midianites would come up, also the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. Then they would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep nor ox nor donkey." The Amalekites, along with others, the enemies of God's people, came up when they would sow their seed, and before they would gain their harvest, before they'd be able to reap the harvest, the enemy would come in. How often is it that we sow seed, but yet the enemy tries to come in and and take the harvest from us? How often is it when you're just about on the verge of breakthrough that the enemy sees that and he comes and tries to ruin it for you? How often is it that you just had a great day with your family, but all of a sudden now somebody says something, then you said something, then they say something, and it just ruins the whole trip, right? <laughs> the Amalekites just got in the car, right? <laughs> this is what happens, that Amalekites over and over and over show up. And you just think you're making progress, and they come to steal any progress. It's the two steps forward, one step back. And we can experience this. Now, we, uh, we don't run into Amalekites you know, by, by their race or ethnicity or culture, but we run into situations like this. Even in giving the law, God brings up that event, by the way, from, from Exodus. In, in Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 17 through 19, God says this. He says, Remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you were coming out of Egypt, how he met you on the way and attacked your rear ranks, all the stragglers at your rear, when you were tired and weary. When you were tired and weary. When does the enemy try to attack us most? When we're tired and weary. Sometimes people are working seven days a week because they got to get something done. People do this in the church world, too. They, they're trying to get something done for God, or you're trying to get something done for your family or whatever. But you know what happens when you're working, working, working and not resting? You get tired and weary. And when you get tired and weary, you say things you shouldn't say, right? You do things that you would not normally do. You'll watch things that you would not normally watch. You will not care about things that you would normally care about when you're tired and weary. And this can happen to any of us if we're not getting rest, coming to Jesus, hearing his sayings and doing them. How do you get rest? You come to Jesus, right? He said, come to me and I'll get you rest. Well, here's a situation and God is saying, you are tired and weary. He said this about Amalek, and he did not fear God. Therefore it shall be when the Lord your God has given you rest from your enemies all around in the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess as an inheritance that you will blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. You shall not forget. Don't forget what the enemy has done to you. And he's telling him you have to blot them out from, from under heaven. Wipe them all out. Now, several hundred years later, God sent King Saul to go up to battle against the Amalekites. In 1 Kings chapter 15, verse 2 and 3, God tells him that he should utterly destroy all of them. Men, women, children, donkeys, sheep, everything that belongs to the Amalekites because they ambushed his people on the way to the promised land. So Saul goes up to battle, but yet he spares their king and all the best of the flocks and the goats he keeps them for himself and and this was the event that caused God to reject Saul as king because when he had the opportunity to defeat the Amalekites and to fulfill the plan of God which was to blot them out he didn't do it he selectively disobeyed God because he had a better idea sometimes the enemy comes up against us and he causes us to compromise he wants to work a deal out with us. If you just would let me stay, if you just spare me, if you just don't totally close this door, cut that off, if you just don't go all the way with this right decision and you, and you spare me, I won't bother you anymore, I promise. The king's name of the Amalekites was Agag. God, uh, Saul spared Agag. Samuel, the prophet, came to him and said, what... A, What's going on, Saul? And said, "Here I am. I did what you said." And, and Samuel said, "If you did what I said, why do I hear sheep me in the background?" And he's like, "Oh, well, the people kept those." And and then he said, Samuel said, "Who's that?" He said, "Well, that's the king because I, I kept him alive." And, and you know, he's he's back. He's trying to backtrack and blame other people. The enemy always wants to find a reason to continue to harass you. And if you compromise and you allow him to stay in whatever it is that would be causing you that turmoil, the you know stealing from you, whatever it is, there's things that are, are, are robbing from us. But for some reason, we continue in the pattern. We continue in the relationship. We continue in the job. We continue in the activity that causes the trouble. We keep making the bed that we end up sleeping in. Samuel, Samuel wanted nothing to do with that, and so the Bible says that he took a sword and he hacked him to death. Not Saul, Agag. Saul evidently spared others, though, or they didn't confront them all, because when David came to Ziklag, the Amalekites had taken his family. Because of Saul's disobedience at one point, it caused turmoil, distress, pain in someone else's life. So now David and his, his, um, and his men are distressed deeply. In fact, it was a sizable group that Saul must have left because when David finally went and defeated the Amalekites, and got his stuff back and his family back. The Bible says in verse 17, 1 Samuel thirty seventeen, that David didn't spare any of them, except for the 400 that got away. So evidently, there was a lot of people with the Amalekites that, that were there. Um, all of that, and by the way, one last thing about the Amalekites. The Amalekites... Uh, the Amalekites... In that they, they continued to they continued to trouble Israel beyond this uh, to the point where it wasn't until the days of Hezekiah, hundreds of years later that um, they were finally wiped out, and I think that 's in another scripture i don 't have for you, but you 'll have to look that up. Uh, they they weren't wiped out for a hundred years later, but there's one other picture that we get of the Amalekites showing up, and that's in the book of Esther. Um, Mordecai was the uncle. Who was the guy, though, that wanted to kill Mordecai and all the Jews? You know what Haman was? He was an Agagite. An Agagite? What's that? He was a descendant of King Agai, or whatever this guy's name, this Amalekite. This is the final picture where the Amalekites are always trying to de- de- destroy the children of God, God's people. And we know the ultimate um, ending for him. Off with his head, right? Okay, so that's a little bit of a background with the Amalekites. Here's the deal. I, I don't want f- The point is not a history lesson on the Amalekites. Here's what it teaches us. There's situations, there's people, there's even spiritual beings that will hinder you, they'll harass you, they'll cause you to compromise, and they'll even stir others up against you, people who would otherwise be for you and love you. What do you do in times like these? What do you do when you're under attack? What do you do when there's a great distress of the soul? When there's a lack of peace or rest, you have to do what David did in verse 6 of 1 Samuel chapter 15. It says, uh, I'm sorry, I gave you the wrong, um, I, well, I think I might have given you the wrong scripture. David strengthened himself in the Lord. He strengthened himself when he was under great stress and, and no rest in his soul. And others were blaming him. He didn't go to others to try and figure this out. He did what Jesus said and said when he said, Come to me. That word strengthened himself. And when you look at it in the Hebrew, it means this. Among other things, it means he laid hold of or he seized, he grasped. David got a hold of himself in the Lord. Because David, it's almost like he stepped out of himself and looked at himself and said, dude, you're stressed out. You're worried. You're you're all worked up over this situation. And so what he does is he grabs a hold of himself. You ever feel like when somebody, you ever talk to someone who's having like an emotional breakdown or maybe even a panic attack, and, 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 and there's one side of you, some of you are compassionate, so you don't ever think this, but there's one side of you that just wants to do the shaking thing, like, come on, you know, snap to it, or, or like they do, splash the water on the TV. I always thought, that would, I've never tried it, but sometimes you think that might be, that might work in this situation, or, you know, slap them, or whatever it is. Like, come on, come back to reality. That's what David did to himself in the Lord. He grabbed a hold of himself. He seized himself. He laid hold of himself in the Lord. By going to the Lord at a time of great stress, he shook himself from the situation he was in and he said, listen, it's like looking at yourself in the mirror. You will set your mind on God. You will place your trust in him. You will. Now he's not telling everybody else. He gets into a secret place right here and he's saying, you will trust the Lord right now. God will deliver you. You will not stress. You will not worry. You will not lose this thing. You will not do a thing. You will not mess this up. That is what we have to do when we come to the Lord. That is what we have to do when we're experiencing a situation where we feel like we're going to lose it. That's what we have to do in order to let go of the wrong things and grab a hold of the right thing. You have got to bring yourself to the Lord, strengthen yourself in the Lord, and, 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 and set your eyes, tell yourself, take command of your soul, of your inner man, and say, you will lock eyes with Jesus right now. This is the, this is the only option if you're going to survive this. You see, David was known as someone who would spend time in the secret place of God. In Psalm 31 20, it says, you shall hide them in the secret place of your presence. From the plots of man, you shall keep them secretly in a pavilion from the strife of tongues. That's not just a poetic word. That's something that that David practiced. Psalm 91, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty, right? This is something that David practiced. He got himself into the secret place in order to find the rest for the soul, the the safety, the direction. The shepherd of Israel went to the great shepherd and he found rest. Remember Psalm 23? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. Lie down. Why would he lie down? Just rest. Just rest. God wants wants to lead you to a place of rest when he's your shepherd. He leads me beside the still waters. What does he do? He restores my soul. Just say that right now. Lord, restore my soul. Cause me to rest. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want, right? He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. That's what he's telling us to do. Let him shepherd us. Receive that rest. Let him take you beside the still waters, not the violent waters, not the raging rapids, But when he shepherds you, he wants to bring you to a place where there's refreshing water right here. He wants to bring you to a place uh, where you can just dwell safely and calm and peace on the inside. This is a big deal because when you're at work and things go south quick, you need the peace of God so you can think clear. When you're at home and things go south quick, you need the peace of God so you don't make the problem worse, right? Isn't that the truth? When we heard a testimony earlier, when when the finances aren't really going all that great for you, you've got to have the peace of God to say, know what, the the Lord provides. The Lord will, will take care of us. You've got to have the peace of God. Lord, lead me beside the still waters. Restore my soul. If you need restoration for your soul, you need God just to bring, bring a strengthening on the inside and a peace, if you can't keep, get your, keep your mind on, on Him, maybe even right now you're sitting here thinking about the next thing, the next thing. Guess what? This message is for you, but it's the time to come to Him and allow Him just to minister to you. <laughs>